Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. So this morning we're continuing our series on Joshua as this faith in action. And we come to Genesis, uh, Joshua chapter 6. Now, for those who were here last week, I have to say, I was sitting in the front row and I started to, by the end of it, squirm. And Pastor Paul and I had a chat on Tuesday and I said, would you not drum up the next week's sermon when I'm the one having to present it? And he suddenly went, oh yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Joshua 6 is a passage of scripture most of us would be familiar with. It's the story of the walls of Jericho that come crashing down. Yeah? We all know that story. We heard it from young, you know, as young children, and it was like, yes, if only God did that at my school when I was growing up, you know, then I wouldn't have to go to school. That sort of mindset, you know? What happened was, for, we're not going to read the whole passage. Instead, I would love for you this coming week to get your Bible and to deliberately read over it three times. Okay? Just take the time to embrace it and see what the passage says. But there are some things of it that I would like to draw out this morning out of this passage. Because for those who are not familiar with the passage, what happens is God gives instructions to Joshua, who then tells the people, this is what we have to do. We've got to go out, we've got to walk around the walls of Jericho once, each day for the next six days. And when we walk around the walls of Jericho, we've got to be silent. No one's allowed to say anything. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk instead and we're going to march around it seven times. And at the end of the seventh time, there'll be a big trumpet blast and we're all then going to shout out. And when that happens, all these walls are going to collapse and we're all to go straight in and take possession of this city. The only part of the wall that was not going to collapse was one part where Rahab, who had protected the two spies, that is the only section of the wall that wasn't going to collapse. Why? Because she had been given the promise and assurance by the two spies saying, as long as you are in your house and any of your household with you, you will be spared. And that is what happened. So that's Joshua chapter 6 in a nutshell. Great, we can finish. Say the benediction, off we go. (laughs) But the reality is, if you imagine though, if it was you in that situation, you're looking at Jericho and going, this looks impossible. We don't even need to look at Jericho. We can look for some of us are looking at our current situation that we are facing and going, what I am facing, it looks impossible. In fact, the task just looks beyond any solution. And unfortunately, when we start to view things through that lens of this is impossible, we then make it impossible. You know, our mindset becomes one of, I'm already defeated because there will not be any solution. There will not be any victory for me in this. I've heard it among children at times, you know, who have said, I don't want to. And you say, come on, please have a go, please have a go. Finally, they do it and they go, see, I told you it wouldn't work. They've been the prophet of doom. And unfortunately, we can do that ourselves because we can look at the battle and we can see this is too big, it is impossible for me. And so when we prepare ourselves with the, well, it's not going to work, I'm not going to succeed, it's just going to fail, what we prepare ourselves with is that place of disappointment. And so when that becomes the reality, we go, see, I'm not as disappointed as what I would have been if you had made me get excited over it. Let me share with you, on October 22nd, 1903, 
scientists gathered in France to discuss the possibility of powered flight. Now, that's something we take for granted today. Jump on an airplane, off we go. This is back in 1903. And several scientists presented paper after paper discouraging the possibility. The meeting concluded with a paper read by Simon Newcomb, the only American scientist who was a member of the Aeronautical Institute of France. He stated that he had proven by indisputable logic that human flight was impossible. And he concluded by saying, if we could get one off the ground, we'd never get it back down. Let's forget this foolish idea and move on to greater things. And he received a standing ovation. <laughs> 56 days later, on December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers flew the first powered aircraft. They had the advantage of not knowing that it could not be done. <laughs> Let me give you another example. At one time, it was thought it was impossible for a human to be able to run a mile in less than four minutes. A mile, for those who are of a younger generation, it's 1,600 kilometres. Okay? I mean, 1,600 metres. Well, that would be big, wouldn't it? Yeah, 1,600, yeah, so 1,600 metres, okay? To run it in less than four minutes. On May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister became the first man to run a mile in less than four minutes. His time, three minutes, 59.4 seconds. Now, the interesting fact is that over the next 18 months, 40 others also broke that four-minute barrier. One person did it, and suddenly it set a precedent that others said, hey, I know I could do that too. Why is that important for us? Because for some of us, we actually see the battle that's in front of us and go, it's impossible. But when we finally get through it, others then learn from our example and go, it's not impossible. I too can actually get through this battle. However, there's a number of us at the moment that we are facing obstacles or battles that look impossible. For some, it's facing exams or study, disagreement with others, work struggles, Personal, physical, emotional, mental, family, ethnic, addictions, weight loss, weight gain, financial. The list goes on and on of all these different battles. And there's so much more that we could add to it. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. None of us are exempt from battles. Just because I've accepted Christ doesn't make me immune from suddenly facing battles in life. 1 Peter 5 communicates that. And some of the battles, though, that we face are huge. Whereas some, you know, they're only small. Some of the battles, they'll go on for years, whilst there's other battles that are only temporary. Some of the battles, they create lifelong scars. And some, they're easily forgotten. Every battle we face, though can actually be approached the same way. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. Think about, about the battle that you might be facing right at the moment. Is it so huge that the, the outcome that you want, it appears as if it is impossible? Or is the battle, it's only really minor? 
And so that we're actually able to almost just dismiss it after a few days. Chances are, when the battle is minor, we probably will stew on it for a few days, maybe talk to others in the hope that they'll give us some reassurance and maybe even give us some wisdom in the midst of it, but certainly they'll cheer us on and go, you'll, you'll be okay. And possibly even we may take some affirmative action. But when the battle is huge, what is our response? We, we may try and do the same thing as what we've done when the battle is only minor, but often when we do so, it just doesn't seem to cut it. And so we need to be able to take a different approach. Now, some of you may have seen this before, and if you have, please don't give the answer away, all right? But you've got these nine dots in the shape of a square, and you need to put your pen on one spot and do not remove the pen, but you're only allowed to draw four straight lines, and in those four, by drawing those four straight lines, you are then to connect all nine dots. Can you do it? Some of you will be visual people. You are allowed to put your finger up and you're allowed to do this, okay? Yeah? Anyone not seen this before? Anyone not seen it before? All right, a few hands, good. So for those ones who haven't seen it before, have you worked it out? No? No? The key is you're not allowed to remove your pen from the paper. Okay, let me show you. Our first line comes diagonally across. And then the next one goes across. Remember, we haven't taken our pen off the page. Then we go up diagonally and then we come down. Ah, it's simple when you see it. Yeah. But what's the lesson? Sometimes we have to look outside of the box in order to see the solution. Yeah? Similar thing is in a film where there's all these soldiers who are running along and they come to this flagpole. And their commanding officer says to them, whoever can get that flag from the top of the flagpole, they actually will get a lift in the jeep back to the, to the base. So immediately all these soldiers scramble and they're all there trying to climb the flagpole and each one slides down one after another after another. And finally they all give up and the commander says, all right, back in line, let, let's go. Except for one. One soldier who walks over, looks at the top of the flagpole, looks at the bottom, and then pulls the pin out from the bottom of the flagpole, walks across, and the flagpole drops, walks across, takes the flag, and then goes and gets in the jeep and has the ride back to base. <laughs> Sometimes we need to look outside of the box in order to see the solution. Too often, when we're in the midst of the battle, when we're in the midst of that heartache and that oppression and whatever it is that seems impossible for us, what we focus on is that very battle. In doing so, our focus is on the wrong thing. And so this morning, if you don't remember anything else, there's five words that I would like you to remember. Okay? The first word is the word focus. What are we focusing on? Last week, Pastor Paul, he put this diagram up of Jericho. And his description to us was that Jericho is in an elevated position. And so for, for Joshua and the Israelites, when they looked at Jericho and its big walls, those walls were accentuated in their height because it was in that elevated position. They were having to look up at it. We read in chapter 6, verse 1, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Why didn't anyone go out or come in? Anyone? 
Because the enemy was there? Well, they weren't protected if they went out? Yeah? Anyone else? They had everything they needed? Yeah? Have to open gates? Yeah? Yeah, they would actually have to open the gate if they wanted to go out or come in. Yeah? And the gates were closed. They were barred. Why? It was fear. That is it. We actually read in Joshua chapter 2, verse 24, the two spies who had gone out and explored Jericho, they came back and they reported to Joshua and they said, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. We also have in chapter 5, verse 1, now when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan, all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they'd crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. When we are facing these battles, our heart can easily melt in fear, especially if our focus is on the wrong thing. It's like the walls that, you know, they just seem to tower in front of us. It seems this impossible task. The key is our focus. We choose our response. It can be one of fear or one of faith. It's a bit like, for those who have seen the films of Indiana Jones, you know, we're going back a while. He's standing there, comes through this little, you know, yeah, cave, so to speak, comes out to this opening, and the spot he needs to be is just over there, a hole in this wall, but there's a massive chasm between the two spots. And he's got his little guidebook that his dad has prepared for him all these years ago, and the guidebook says to him, it is only a person of faith who will cross. And he's standing there, and all he was consumed with was fear because he can see straight down. And finally, he builds up the faith, and he puts his foot forward, and he allows his self-momentum to go forward. And when he does so, his foot lands on solid ground. And he looks to the side, and he realizes that all along, there's been this bridge there, but he couldn't see it because it had blended in with the rock face and the color and contours on the other side. It wasn't until his faith was larger or greater than his fear could he take that step. For Joshua, where was his faith? God had said to him in chapter 6, verse 2, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. For Joshua, there was no need to fear because God had delivered That word delivered means to give, to put, to set. In other words, God had actually said, I've put them on a silver platter and I've served them up to you and now it's yours to take. And when we face battles, our response reveals where our focus and our faith lies. Where we focus has a direct result on the actions that then follow. And so the second word this morning is the word action. God spelt out for Joshua the action that he was to take. In verses 3 to 5, we read, March, out, march around the city once, uh, once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have the seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. 
There was no quick fix solution. It was going to take an additional seven days. There was no set precedent. God was not repeating something he had done in the past. And there was no rationale. Since when do walls collapse by an army giving a loud shout? Jericho, it was considered this mighty, impenetrable fortress. Invincible, impossible to conquer. It stood as a picture of power. And from a human perspective, the situation for Israel, it looked and seemed hopeless. But there is no indication in Scripture that the Israelites were gripped by doubt or fear. And there's one of two actions that they could take. Defiance or surrender. Defiance, it says, I'm doing it my way. I won't back down and I'm not going to let them win or get the better of me. It's my way. Whereas surrender says, I'm relinquishing any entitlement I think I have and I give it to you. Joshua, he did that. In in chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? No, or neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servants? Now, some people go, well, I'm not being defiant. Well, well, okay, let's think on that. You know, that might be the case, but ask yourself this question. You know, three questions. Do you feel that you're justifying yourself? Or do you find yourself reading the Bible just to look for verses that help to support your stance? Or do you actually find it even difficult to open up the Bible and read it at the moment? It's just too hard and it's too uncomfortable. Well, if that's the case, guess what? They are the fruits of defiance. And so the action that we take, well, it's either one of surrender or of defiance. And based on the action that we take, we're going to be more open to accepting or to rejecting instruction. And that's our third word, the word instruction. uh, God gave Joshua clear instructions for victory. But there's a big difference between doing it our way or God's way. If the Israelites, if they had believed God and his word, they would conquer the enemy. But if they rejected God's words or refused to act upon it, then they would lose the battle and be defeated by their enemy. It's one thing to know the instructions, but it's entirely another thing to actually follow through on those instructions. Joshua, he followed God's instructions. In verse 6, he instructed the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. He gave instructions to the army in verse 7. Advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And in verse 8, he instructed the people. And through following the instructions, the priests, the army, the people, it revealed that they too surrendered to God and reliance upon God to be able to go with them, before them and behind them. And God's presence, it was symbolized by, what did they carry? The Ark of the Covenant. 
The ark is actually mentioned five times in the first six verses. And then in verses 12 through 13, it's mentioned additional three times. Why is that important? It says that wherever God's presence was, they wanted to be there with it. They didn't want to be isolated from God's presence, but rather they wanted God's presence to be with them wherever they went. There was this reliance upon God's presence and for God's presence um, to direct them wherever they were going. The key to them receiving God's instruction was also for their surrender. And in their surrender, it led to them receiving the promises of God. Now, I have to say, if you were one of those people back then, one of the Israelites or even Joshua, there would have been multiple thoughts going through your mind. Surely. Imagine Joshua, he's just come to you and you're some of the key leaders and he says to you, okay, here's the tactics of how we're going to win. Can you imagine those army commanders who are there going, what sort of tactics are these? He goes, well, these are the ones God gave me. Can you imagine the people then going, has God been listening to the wrong tacticians? Because not only is God telling us to walk around those walls once per day for the next six days, then he's telling us to also do it silently. And as well as that, then on the seventh day, we've actually got to do it seven times and then give out this loud shout. Who in their right mind thinks up these tactics? Surely that was going through some of their thoughts. So I have to say, when, when we are actually going through some of those battles and those difficult times, we are not silent. We do the very opposite. We become very verbose. We tell people about it and we actually share it with others. Yet here, they're being told that they must be silent. Why were the people silent? Because God had told them what to do. There was no need for them to add to what he had said. But also, the Israelites, they needed to take captive their thoughts. It's a bit like 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, to take captive their thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. And that's the, for the Israelites to be able to control their thoughts, they needed to think on the promises of God. And that's their fourth word, is the word thoughts. The promise of God always comes before the fulfillment. And I know we would love the fulfillment to come first, and then we go, oh, look, and here was the promise of God. Much easier. But it doesn't happen that way. However, in this, God had promised in verse 2, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. And in verse 5, the wall of the city will collapse, the army will go up, and everyone straight in. God has given us his word, he's given us his promises, that they would direct us, give us peace, know we have assurance of victory, and that we are more than conquerors through him. It's filling our thoughts with his truth rather than our own feelings or opinions. Because it is God's word that brings hope. And that's the final word, is the word hope. God was leading the Israelites into the promised land. This land, it was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land of new beginnings and opportunities. It was a land that they would be able to call their own. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, we read, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. They had waited and had wandered through the wilderness for the last 40 years. And now, 
there was still no instant gratification for the Israelites. They're having to walk around Jericho once per day for the next six days silent. And then on the seventh day, had to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when they heard them sound the long blast on the trumpets, the whole army was to give a loud shout. Shout, for the Lord had given them the city. Shout, and the walls would come down. Shout of praise rather than, why God? There was hope that God's promise would be fulfilled. We read in verse 10, but Joshua had the command of the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. Why not a war cry? Well, those in Jericho were already in fear. There was no need to further taunt them. Hmm. Why not raise their voices? So that they would not speak to those who were sitting up on the wall, looking down on them and watching and going, what are you lot doing? That they would not engage in conversation with them. And why not say a word? Well, for any of them who are among the Israelites that were maybe going, you know what, this is stupid. I don't see this is going to work. Well, guess what? They were being zipped. They were not being allowed to talk and they were not being given the opportunity to create a disruption. They were to give a shout to God. We cannot be quiet when God is doing the miraculous. There's this shout at the end of them walking around seven times. Do you know, we go to the book of Revelation, there is also that trumpet blast and there is a shout that is going to come and we're going to be all ascended to heaven when Christ comes again. A couple are excited, right? Do you know, it was also this shout because it was a new beginning for the Israelites. The second part of that verse from Proverbs, it says, the longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Tree of life. Where was it also present? At Garden of Eden in the beginning. And in heaven. Correct. Do you know, a number of commentators have actually said that they see the significance of seven days because it's actually assimilated back to Genesis and God's creation. That it was seven days of creation and God is doing a seven days here because he's doing a new creation for the Israelites. Behold, he's making all things new. That's why they're saying it was significant, the seven days and the seven also being significant spiritually. So let me ask this morning, how are you doing with the battles that you are facing? You're still trying to handle them the same way that people in the world handle them? Or are you handling them different? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are our weapons? Well, if we base it out of Joshua chapter 6, focus that we are walking in faith, action, that we're living that life of surrender, instruction, that we are listening and taking hold of God's word. Thoughts that we're filling our minds with the promises of God rather than doubt. Because where we allow doubt where faith does not exist. And hope. Have a look down that list. First letter of each of these words is faith. Our faith in action. Living and active. It demolishes impenetrable strongholds that we would walk in faith. I have to say, this, 
The way we handle small battles is the same way that we should be approaching the large battles and the big battles, that we were walking not in the flesh but rather in the spirit. There is too many people who are actually still fighting the same battle because they're still walking in the flesh rather than recognizing it's been a spiritual battle. And when they actually approach it instead from in the spirit, they're going to see the victory come. Put it this way. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Yes? Yes? We all agree on that? All right. So? Yes, yes, yes. Right. So I want to put, prove it to you this way. All right? When we, beforehand, we were fighting battles in the flesh. Satan got kicked out of heaven. And guess what? He's on the earth. And we keep trying to fight battles with him like this. Why? Why are we doing that? Because we're actually putting it on the same level as him. We're not on the same level as him. If we've been seated in heavenly places with Christ, if I had a ladder, I'd actually get even higher. And that would be our proper place. See yourself as where you are truly in Christ and with Christ and actually stand in authority in that and fight the battles from the true position rather than where you once were. Amen? Let's pray. Now, Father, we do thank you that we are seated in heavenly places with you. And that although at the moment there are battles that we face, oh, Lord, there are times where we say, please, God, bring change, bring transformation. The actual change and transformation you're wanting to do is in us. And it comes with that place of what are we focusing on? What is the action? Is it one of surrender or are we being a bit defined? that we would embrace your word, receiving your instructions. And Lord, I pray that for some, they're going, I just, I don't get the clarity. So God, this morning, just pray clarity of thought and wisdom over those who have been facing confusion and doubt and uncertainty, that you would bring that revelation to them today, right now. Also, that we would then guard our thoughts, our thoughts on your promises. And for those this morning who are saying, but I haven't received it, God, we pray that this very day and this week multiply the, the promises that as for Joshua, you gave him two. Right now, Lord, we pray those multiple promises for people who are needing them to know, to continue to stay the journey that you, Lord God, are going with them, before them and behind them. And fill them with hope. Lord, fill each one of us with hope, knowing that one day you're calling us home with you. But at the moment, the battle does wage. And for some, that battle is really tough. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us. For some of us, it might be that we had to stand in prayer and petition on behalf of others. But for some, it's the battle just seems immense. But as we've learned from Joshua, it's time, rather than wallowing in it, it's time to shout and to declare your victory. Even though we may not yet see it, we're able to give a shout because you, Lord God, are able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And so, Father, we give you the praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.